Amen. Amen. My name is Adam. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I have the great joy and privilege to serve as the lead pastor here. And it's so great to have you with us today. You can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is a letter in the New Testament. We'll be uh, spending our time there today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. Just two verses, but they are incredibly rich and incredibly important verses. Now, while you're turning there, I want to begin with a quote from Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King Jr., the the activist, but Martin Luther, the, the German reformer from the 16th century. Here's what Martin Luther once said. He said, It ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to... dot, dot, dot. Now, I'll tell you what Martin Luther said in just a moment, but first, I wonder how you would finish that sentence. How you would fill in the blank. It ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to dot, dot, dot. Maybe you would say pursue holiness. Read the Bible. Pray more. Those are all good and noble and biblical goals, but they're not what Luther goes on to say. You ready? Here's what he said. It ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to put aside confidence in works and grow stronger in the belief that we are saved by faith alone. According to Luther, what we need to do is to go back to basics, to go back to where we started with Jesus, to put aside all confidence in ourselves, in our works, in our record, and to put all our faith, all our trust, all our confidence in Jesus and in Him alone. To remember that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is where we start the Christian journey, and this is where we need to stay because this is where we thrive. And this is where I'd like to take us today. As you've already heard, today is a really uh, special, significant day in the life of our church community. Uh, Today is our final 9 a.m. service, and next week we're we're kicking off two morning services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., and we're really excited about this new season and the opportunities in front of us. But as with any new season, when we go through a period of change and transition, it can sometimes be disorienting for us. We can sometimes become sidetracked. We can sometimes lose sight of what is really important. Now, I like to think that I embrace change pretty willingly. I like to think I handle change pretty well, but I've got to admit there have been times in my life when this probably hasn't been true. And I think a perfect example of this was when I finished high school, when I I graduated from year 12. I was out of the Christian school bubble for the first time. I was trying to work out what to do with my life. I was trying to work out who I was. I mean, I'm sure we've all gone through this. And it led me, it led me, sorry, to make some questionable life choices. Maybe you made some questionable life choices when you were 17 or 18. But perhaps one of the most questionable choices I made was to pay actual money to get my hair cut like this. kind of like a half mullet with a bit of a cockatoo on top. 
Now, I'd like to say that it was fashionable back in the mid-2000s, but I'm pretty sure that would be lying. <laughs> now, let's get that off the screen very quickly. We don't need to see that. Now, my point is not to prove that 18-year-old Adam was pretty dumb, though obviously, you know, that's true. My point is that when we go through seasons of change in life, when we go through periods of transition, we can become disoriented. We can lose, what's, lose sight of what's really important. We can forget what really matters. And so today, as we begin a new season in the life of our church, as we prepare for two morning services, I thought it would be worthwhile for us to remind ourselves of what really matters, to ground ourselves in ultimate reality, to go back to basics, to look at how we receive Christ and how we move forward in Christ. And there's lots of places we could turn to in the Bible to look at this, but perhaps none better than Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. These are very rich, very meaningful verses. In fact, most scholars suggest that these verses are at the heart of the entire letter. They summarize the whole message of the letter to the Colossians. So let's read these verses and let's begin to see what God has to say to us through his word. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. This is what it says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, before we dive in and pull these verses apart, let me just give you some context. Anytime you look at a passage from the Bible, it's important to know its context. Now, Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to a bunch of new Christians who lived in a city called Colossae. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was around about ancient, or sorry, modern day Turkey. Now, Paul had never met these Christians that he's writing to. Someone else had started the church, but he loved them, he cared for them, and he wanted to help them. He wanted to protect them from deceivers, from people who were promoting false teaching and trying to take them off course. And he also wanted to help them to move forward. They were young and new and immature in the faith, and he wants to help them to grow in Christ. And this is what this passage is all about. It's how we grow as a Christian. It's about how we move forward. It's about how we make progress. And this is important, I think, for us, both as individuals and as a church community. I mean, personally, you might be here this morning and you might be thinking, I've grown a little bit stale in my faith. A little bit dry. I'm a bit stuck. I would like to know what the Bible says about how I can move forward. Corporately, for us as a church community, we want to keep moving forward. We want to build up believers. We want to reach the lost. We want to bring glory to God. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we keep moving forward? How do we make progress? How do we do God's work in God's way for God's glory? This passage is going to tell us. So let's look at what this Uh, these couple of verses have to say to us and we'll think it through in just three steps. The first step is verse six, which says to us, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, Paul is putting two important things together in this verse, how we become a Christian and how we grow as a Christian. Now, firstly, how do we become a Christian? Well, Paul says that you received Christ Christ. Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now, what does it mean to receive 
Christ? Well, firstly, it means to believe the message about him. You know, Christianity is not fundamentally a way of life, though it inevitably leads to a way of life, as we'll see. But firstly and fundamentally, it's an announcement. It's a message. It's news. Not about how you should live, but about what God has done. That God, in his great love and because of our great evil, sent Christ from heaven to earth to die in our place for our sin, to rise again to defeat our enemies so that we might receive life and hope and forgiveness. And the Colossians have received this news about Christ. They've believed it, they've cherished it, and many of us have as well. But to receive Christ goes even further than just intellectually believing. It also means to entrust yourself to Christ, to put your whole self in his hands. Imagine for a moment that there's a chair up on the platform here next to me. Now, I can intellectually believe that that's a good chair, a strong chair. I can intellectually believe that if I sit on that chair, it will hold me. But unless I actually place my rear end in that chair, unless I actually put all my weight on that chair, I'm not actually entrusting myself to it. And you see, to receive Christ means to put all your weight onto him, all your hope, all your confidence, all your trust. It means to come to him empty-handed, to know that you have nothing to boast in, you have nothing to offer him. You simply throw yourself into his arms. Or as Ray Ortland puts it, you as a hopeless sinner, hand yourself over to a loving saviour who proved his love at the cross and he receives you with all his mighty heart. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? You can, there's nothing and no one stopping you. His arms are open to you and his heart is for you. And we know this is true even because of his name. Did you notice here that Paul refers to Jesus as Christ Jesus the Lord? Now, these are three important names and titles for Jesus, and each of them is significant and meaningful. I mean, firstly, Paul tells us that Jesus is Christ. Now, this is not his last name, but his title. It literally means Messiah. Jesus is the promised Savior of the Old Testament. He did not just show up out of nowhere. He is the fulfillment of God's promises and God's plans and God's purposes. Made for thousands of years. And he came at just the right time to rescue us because he is Christ, Messiah, Savior. Second, he is Jesus. Now, this is his name. It's related to to Joshua. And it tells us that he is a real historical figure. He lived in our world and he experienced our reality which means he's not distant from us, he's not detached from us, he understands, he's near to us, he sympathizes with us, he is the friend of sinners. And thirdly, he is the Lord. He is none other than our King and our God, which means when we come to Jesus, we hand over the keys. We stop bargaining, we stop negotiating, we stop holding back and we say, I receive all that you are and I give you all that I am. He is Christ Jesus, the Lord. So the question is, have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? Now, this is gonna look different for, for different people. I mean, some of you can't remember a specific moment in time. 
You've always known and trusted Jesus from a young age. And if that's you, praise God. Others of you had a very ecstatic, dramatic moment. Kind of like George Whitfield from the 1700s. You know, he describes his conversion in this way, the great evangelist. He said, oh, what joy filled my soul when the weight of sin fell off and an abiding sense of the pardoning love of God broke upon my disconsolate soul. My joys were like a springtime flood. Others of you were a bit more restrained and reluctant, a bit more like C.S. Lewis, who describes his conversion in 1929 this way. He says, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Whatever it might look like, eager, reluctant, ordinary, the moment you turn to Christ with the empty hands of faith, he receives you with his mighty heart. This is how we get started in the Christian faith. And the good news is that this is how we keep going, how we grow. Do you notice what Paul writes there in verse six? He says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now that word walk refers to our daily lives, the way we live moment by moment, day by day. And Paul is saying the same way that you received Christ, that's the way that you are to live your life in Christ. Namely, by depending on his grace. You see, we sometimes assume that grace gets us through the door, but if we wanna stay there, that depends on us. Which means we better get it together and we better keep it together. But God's word here says it's just not true. It's God's grace that gets us through the door and it's God's grace that keeps us in. It's God's grace that converts us and it's God's grace that sustains us. It's grace from beginning to end. Do you know that line from the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace? Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me and so I think some of us this morning need to go back to grace some of us have drifted from grace to works from receiving to earning and we need to hear God's message to us that we are loved we are forgiven we are cleansed we are safe we are secure and then as Ray Ortland goes on to say now hold that thought Start every day there. Live every day there. End every day there. Do not believe yourself and your own thoughts and moods. Believe the word of Christ. By faith, see his smile upon you. Relax in his finished work. Look forward to his complete victory. You know, I read a a story this week about a young man who went to stay with an older godly Christian man. This young man wanted to learn from him. And he wanted to know uh, how this young man, how this older man, sorry, would pray. And especially how he would end his prayers, his evening prayers. And he overheard this older man pray and he said this. He said, Lord Jesus, I thank you that things are still the same between us. Amen. And off he went to sleep. When we know this, when we're clear on this, that the Christian life is grace from beginning to end, we begin to move forward. We begin to make progress. We begin to grow and be built up in Christ. And this is what Paul goes on to say in verse seven. 
which is our second step. He says, we are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Now, Paul uses a a couple of different metaphors here to describe how we grow and how we're strengthened in Christ. And the first is agricultural, comes from the world of gardening. Paul says, we have been rooted in Christ. We have been planted in him. We have his new eternal life flowing through us. Think of yourself a little bit like a small plant and you've been planted in the botanic gardens. You have everything you need to grow. All of the riches, the nutrients, the resources, all of the expert care and attention. It's all there for you to grow beautifully. And it's the same for us in Christ. Everything we need is in Him. I mean, if you're in Christ, your future is fruitful, prosperous and secure. Not because you're such a great plant, but because you're planted in a magnificent Saviour. I mean, imagine you're back at the Botanic Gardens and and you see that there's two small trees in their little pot plants on the path. Now imagine someone comes along and plants one of those plants into the Botanic Gardens and the other one is left on the path. Now, are those two plants the same? They look the same. They're about the same size. But one has a future and the other does not. And it's not got anything to do with their performance it's simply got to do with where they are planted so where are you planted are you planted in the things of this world is that where you suck your joy and satisfaction and meaning from things that don't last don't satisfy and don't save Are you planted in in a false gospel that says you need to get it together, you need to earn it, you need to make your own way? Or are you planted in Christ, the only one who can save and satisfy you? All of his riches and resources are available to you. And this is so comforting and so reassuring because every believer is planted in the same soil. We all have access to the same Christ. I mean, you can go home today and you can sit in your room or on your deck or in your backyard or wherever and you can open up God's word and you can read the promises that God has made to you. You can lift up your heart in prayer to God. You can ask for his help to to help you trust and know and obey and move forward. All of his resources are available to you. You don't have to look around at others thinking, man, they seem to have such a great relationship with God. They must have something that I don't have. They must have kind of VIP access to God or something. If you are rooted in Christ and in his grace, then you have everything you need to grow. And you don't need to move on from Christ. You don't need some kind of additional teaching or additional experience. You just need to go deeper into Christ. And as you push your roots deeper into him, the shoots will begin to to shoot out and the fruit will begin to show. In fact, this is what Paul goes on to say in the next part of the verse, though he changes the metaphor from agriculture to architecture. We move into the world of construction. He says to the Colossians and to us that we are built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. And so Paul now pictures us as as a building and we're all works in progress. We're all under construction. 
And it kind of reminds me of what C.S. Lewis once said about this reality. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. See, the message of Christianity is not God loves you just as you are. Now, of course, God does love us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there, to leave us in our sin and our selfishness and our lostness. Now, he intends to make us glorious, not just a cottage, but a palace. And when you come and when you're planted in Christ, you will begin to be built up. Now, how does this happen practically? How do we actually be built up in Christ? Well, I'm no builder, but I do know that the most important thing about any building is the foundation. If you don't get that right, then you won't get much else right. And so what is the foundation of our new lives in Christ? Paul tells us here. He says that we are established in the faith. That we are grounded upon the faith. Now, what's the faith? Well, very simply, it's the teaching of the Bible. It's the content of what we believe. It's Christian doctrine. It's what Jude says in his letter that he refers to as the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. And that's why Paul goes on to say to the Colossians that this faith is something you were taught. It was explained for them and taught to them. Now, what does this mean for us? It means the way that we grow, the way that we're built up, It's as we read and study and hear and memorize the Bible. It's through the Spirit-inspired Word of God. This also means if Jesus has come to feel a little bit remote and distant, if we feel a little bit adrift, then He's given us a very clear way back in through His Word. This is why the Bible is central to everything that we do and will remain so. This is why we want to to teach it faithfully. We want you to know it deeply. And so like Ben encouraged us to do last week, I want to encourage us as well to open up the Bible, to read, to study, to treasure, to obey it. We simply cannot be built up apart from it. And so the question is, are you growing? Are you being built up in Christ? Maybe a better question is, how do you know? How do you know if you're planted in Christ? How do you know if you're being built up in Him? Well, I guess one way then is our attitude to the Bible. Do we love its promises? Do we, do we try to obey its commands? But another important test is in the very final phrase of our passage, the third and final step. Paul says, abounding in thanksgiving. This is one of the most important spiritual diagnostics thanksgiving, gratitude. In fact, in Romans 1, the great indictment on the human race is this. It says, for although they knew God, 
Although we could see that God was real because of the wonderful world which he's given to us. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. The failure of someone to give thanks to God, it reveals that they don't really know God. Or to put it positively, the other way around, gratitude is a sign of a heart that is drenched in God's grace. Let me say that again. Gratitude is a sign of a heart that is drenched in God's grace. You see, your thankfulness is a test of your theology. Do you believe that God has been gracious to you? Do you believe that God has lavished his kindness upon you? That he's treated you far better and given you far more than you deserve? If you do, you will be abounding in thanksgiving. You won't be miserable, cynical, or envious. You'll be amazed and thankful and all that God has done. Reminds me of the words of that hymn that, that we often sing here. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Abounding in thanksgiving. And so we're entering an exciting new season as a church it's going to be different to what we're used to, but what we need in this new season, it's what we've always had, which is Christ. We need to receive him in the same way that we're going to walk with him, with great humility, with great gratitude, and with great totality. We need to be rooted and planted in him, built up by his word and his spirit, and we need to be thankful for all that he's done and all that he's going to do for us. And so if we get back to what Martin Luther said at the start, I wonder if you now agree with him that it ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to put aside confidence in works and grow stronger in the belief that we are saved by faith alone. Now, if all of us were to grow stronger in this belief, if all of us were to go deeper into Christ's endless grace, imagine what he might do in and through us. Let's find out together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that you have not left us in our sin and our selfishness and our lostness, but you have sent your very son, the Lord Jesus, to come and to die in our place for our sin and to rise again to give us hope that can never be taken away. And so Lord, as we move forward together as a church family, we wanna move forward in Christ. We want to move forward in His grace, by Your Spirit, for Your glory. So Lord, our prayer very simply is help us not to move on from where we started. Help us to walk the way that we began by depending on Your grace. And Lord, fill us to be a church community that is abounding in thanksgiving, that is grateful and for all that you've done for us. 
and that we might see that gratitude in the way that we love you, in the way that we love one another, in the way that we sing, in the way that we talk, in the way that all that we do, Lord, that it might be done for your glory. Lord, we are but your servants. We are your people and we pray, use us, Lord, to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.